Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader uh, here on PRN.FM. Too many things to talk about at once and not enough things to talk about. This is, is this contradictory? How many times, how many times must I say that, uh, that there are contradictions inside me? And that's why I sound the way I do. Um, speaking of contradictions, uh, because I was something very evil <laughs> because I was, you know, the devil's right-hand man or something in my last life. Uh, my karma in this life is to suffer in various ways. And one way that I suffer um, a couple of times a week because of my schedule and where I have to go, including coming down to this radio 
uh, show here to these studios and offices, Gary Nell Studios and offices, to do the, to record the show. Is I take a bus uh, from where I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan Island, and uh, the bus goes all the way down. This people who live here, they'll be familiar with it. If you're not, if you don't live here, it'll just sound exotic. But the point is something you can all understand uh, or recognize, I should say. So I take the bus down and. Um, Goes down Broadway, makes a turn at the bottom of uh, Central Park, which is uh, another name for basically for 59th Street. And then it makes a right turn and goes down Fifth Avenue. And I get off someplace on Fifth Avenue down in the 30s, uh, 30th Street, uh, near where the station is located. But right uh, at uh, 57th Street or just below 57th Street and Fifth Avenue, there are always uh, these days, especially these days, uh, dozens, sometimes more than dozens, a couple of dozen people taking pictures. They look like tourists. They probably are tourists, but, uh, you know, I can't. Uh, New Yorkers are sick to death of this particular site that tourists find so fascinating. And why do they find it fascinating? It's the Trump Tower. It's Trump's Tower. It's the tower that, I guess, proves to him that his other little tower isn't as small as he might think it is, (laughs) or that he's afraid it is. I don't know. Um, Who could ever know, unless one of his uh, wives or ex-wives or or girlfriends testifies to... uh, Wasn't there a case with Bill Clinton? There was a case with Bill Clinton when he was being, uh, you know, uh, ganged up on by all the women that he had uh, sexual relations with. And uh, one of them um, mentioned uh, a very particular um, uh, detail (laughs) of his genitalia. And she said, said, you want to prove it? Just uh, ask him to take his pants down. You know, I forget it was one was it, what was her name? Paula something or other, I forget. Anyhow, um, one one of his many girlfriends, one of his thousand girlfriends. So who knows about Trump's actual, uh, you know, uh, build that way. But uh, he finds it necessary to construct gigantic towers and put his name on it. Now, you don't need Sigmund Freud to try to figure that one out. Obviously, he's making money. But, you know, a guy who has to put up gigantic towers and have his towers be bigger or taller or larger than anybody else's, probably has a serious problem with, uh, and, you know, it doesn't even matter if the man um, has just regular equipment. It doesn't even matter. He could even have larger than average, uh, you know, equipment. <laughs> Why am I using these um, penis? Why am I using these, uh, these uh, euphemisms? But uh, it doesn't matter because um, it's so psychological, even uh, there's there there's uh, he obviously has a need to prove this. I mean, he's got all his girlfriends, he's got all his wives, and they have to be young and beautiful. What is he trying to prove in terms of his masculinity? Why is it that he doubts his masculinity? Clearly, doubts it so much that he has to inflate himself like a giant bullfrog and has to build giant towers and marry all these women who are like uh, Playboy Bunny uh, clones. Why does he have to, I'm not, you know, in themselves as these women are, 
I don't know anything about them, so they may be extremely intelligent. They have their own lives. They have their own personalities. No disrespect intended. But uh, there's a, a tendency in the Trump uh, universe. Uh, didn't he host the Miss Wasn't he the host of the Miss Universe contest? I think he was. Was it Miss World or it wasn't Miss America. Maybe it was Miss America. I don't know. One of those Miss something or others where he was uh, the organizer and the owner of it and the judge. So he's always got to be. Now, I understand being attracted to uh, to uh, to women, you know, after all. Why not? You know, but uh, there's something obsessive and something needy and almost addictive about his attraction to these uh, certain kinds of women who look a certain sort of way. Um, a kind of flashy model, external. You can't say they're beautiful so much as um, they're sexy is what they are. Very sexy in a kind of a particular way, a kind of a fashion model, um, you know, uh, movie star sort of way. Not in a, any kind of like a deeper way. Like And like I said before, I have no idea what these women are like. They could be extremely deep and complex and intelligent. So it's nothing personal about them. Just talking about Mr. Trump here. And then he's got his huge towers. And people are always taking pictures of the Trump Tower. Uh, down the way a little bit is uh, the other place where the tourists are all taking pictures of. is one of the largest um, cathedrals in the country and um, certainly one of the most important or famous cathedrals uh, maybe in the United States. I guess it is St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is down somewhere in the 40s, 48th Street or something like that in Fifth Avenue. So it's about nine blocks south of Trump's Tower. <laughs> this of Trump's Tower. So uh, his largest erection. I guess Trump Tower is his largest erection. I don't know. Or has he built any, uh, has he had any larger erections? I don't know. Uh, so, but this, uh, yeah, Trump Tower with the huge um, letters that say Trump Tower on it, uh, you know, uh, on this, uh, whatever it is, 70-story ejaculation that he constructed. And um, there are the letters. I don't know how big the letters are. Uh, let's see, I'm holding my hands in the studio, as you can clearly see. Um, I'm holding my hands up. I suppose the letters are, I don't know, three or four feet. You know, three feet, maybe three feet, maybe four feet uh, high and a, and a couple of feet wide. And they're gigantic and they're huge. And they look golden, of course. I guess they're made out of brass, unless they're gold-plated. I have no idea. I think they're probably made out of brass, which is instructive about Mr. Trump. I mean, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing solid gold about the man. He is definitely... Um, Brass, shiny brass, or gold-plated. But um, so people are taking picture of Trump's pictures of Trump's tower, and I'm thinking about Trump. And Trump is obviously morbidly fascinating. Uh, most people, including me, should stop talking about him uh, because uh, it's just what he wants. On the other hand, just because he wants it doesn't mean we um, we have to talk about him. On the other hand, on the third hand, <laughs> to you, you do have to talk about him because of the position he's in at the moment, because he is the, uh, whether they like it or not, the representative of uh, one of the two you know, political parties in the country that will uh, assume tremendous power in the country and in the world, and uh, very soon that's going to happen. Um, oh, I heard recently that there's talk about him not participating in the debates. I know he likes to keep everybody guessing all the time. It's part of his... Um, can't call it genius. 
um, I suppose some people might call it genius, but this idea of just keeping himself in the spotlight, the, the way that he needs to keep himself with his, um, with his trophy wives and his um, huge towers and his uh, glitzy, crazy-looking, uh, you know, over-the-top hotels and golf courses and casinos. Everything is external and massive and huge, as he would say. Uh, so he needs to keep himself in the public eye at all times. And I understand... A little bit of this from an, an, on a much smaller scale. I don't mean in that way, but I understand this on a much smaller scale. Um, the the need to define yourself by externals. That if suddenly, by some magic uh, disaster, he didn't have all of these things, who would he be? Who would Donald Trump be? Would he know himself? Would he be able to even function as a human being if he didn't have all these externals? And this is a, a problem that, that all of us have on a continuum to one extent or another. Um, God bless the people who have um, an internal self which is integrated and uh, which they uh, feel confident and uh, not to the point of bragging, of braggadocio. I love that. You know, Italian, only the Italians, right? Braggadocio. Uh, not, not, you know, somebody who's got an integrated uh, personality that doesn't feel like they have to prove anything. They don't have to have whatever they have. doesn't have to be bigger or better than anybody else's. Uh, they don't have to go, uh, I mean, you know, I'm watching the Olympics and people are going to be jumping higher and people are swimming faster and running faster and uh, jumping longer and uh, doing things and diving better. So, um, I, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe the same thing applies to them. But it, it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. There are people who do build huge things, I suppose, and whose life is defined by externals, winning Olympic medals, being, uh, you know, a famous movie star, being famous, being rich, constructing huge buildings, uh, being in some way notorious or in some way uh, out in the external world if you're... Uh, but, of course, it doesn't mean that these people uh, all share that crazy psychological drive and need to have to do it to be somebody to have to do it to be somebody. Uh, you can be somebody just by doing a simple job and just by being yourself. Now, I understand uh, what Trump's problem is because on the continuum of people who are defined uh, by externals, and I've always thought that, and other people have decided that uh, I am extremely internal, that I'm, you know, um, that I'm so self-involved, which is true, that I'm self-involved, that uh, that all I ever do, and there's different kinds of self-involvement. Trump is self-involved, completely self-involved, uh, but his self um, is defined, obviously, by what comes in from the outside, by externals. <coughs> and uh, I am self-involved and usually define uh, myself, and I'm defined by what I think um, and what... Uh, so I don't you know necessarily have to express myself um, in a public way. However, I do. And I, there is a point to this all, to this dialogue here, uh, monologue rather. There is a point to this, and I'm going to get to it soon. I, I, I fervently hope that I will. It would be worth it. 
<laughs> if I did. So, yeah. So people who are self-involved and are defined um, by something which is uh, fragile or uh, external uh, or uh, they have to protect themselves. Like, for instance, one of the definitions, if you want to get complex about it, or a lot of the definition of a lot of people who are neurotic or even psychotic is they are... Uh, defined by voices they hear inside themselves. They are defined by their own neuroses. They are defined by their self-destructiveness. They are defined by their whining, by their complaining. They are defined by, um, by their own internal dialogue with various different parts of themselves. But this self-involvement is something that unites a lot of people, a self-involvement. Now, we're all somewhat self-involved, we have to be to survive. Uh, to be concerned about or to be protective of yourself or to be, uh, what is that old phrase, uh, the famous phrase from uh, Hillel, a famous Jewish scholar, was he a rabbi too? Um, if, uh, if I am uh, only for myself, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Think about that. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's really putting it, you know, right. That's putting your finger right on it, right? If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? I remember Martin Luther King once, uh, somebody asked him once uh, how he, uh, what his philosophy of life was. One of these little, you know, little bubblegum wrapper, you know, um, bits of wisdom, but you know, when it came to Martin Luther King, you had to pay attention to what he said. Uh, they said, uh, you know, they asked about his philosophy of life. He says, well, when you wake up, get up. And when you get up, do something. All these things sound so simplistic all the time, but they are all encompassing and they are all very true. How many times have you gotten up in the morning uh, or there were periods in your life where you got up in the morning and you said to yourself, uh, I don't want to be up. And you just lay there. This is not, I'm not talking about if you are legitimately worn out from doing real work or really even really good work in the world. And it doesn't have to be, you know, building Trump Tower or watching other people build Trump Tower or borrowing the money from people and stiffing them to build Trump Tower. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be being a famous actor or actress, although, you know, they can work very, very, very hard when they do. But... Um, you know, you could take care of your kid all day long. Take care of your baby all day long. Did you, take care, did you ever take care of a little baby all day long or a toddler? It's really extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. I mean, um, there is, I've done a lot of hard jobs in my life uh, for periods of time. I've carried um, heavy weights and heavy loads. Um, uh, when I was buying and selling old books, it was really heavy arduous, dirty, filthy work when going through uh, gigantic piles and closets and storage rooms of old books and toting them around. And the books, after a while, got to weigh thousands and thousands of pounds, you know. Um, and I've worked hard at other things, too. I've worked hard at, um, at jobs where I was a paralegal once, and I worked seven days a week, sometimes for months in a row, on um, some gigantic case in federal court where I was working 12, 14 hours a day, sometimes way into the night, not, not very much sleep. So I've had experiences in my life, uh, maybe not as much as other people have, where I have worked very hard. And, but I have never, uh, I have never had anything to compare with spending a lot of time 
there was one year in um, in the life of my uh, children when I was the primary caretaker, and my daughter at that time was nine years old, and my son was five years old, and it was uh, or I guess she's about four years old, and she was um, she was nine years old. Am I getting the difference? Yes, I am. She was nine, and he was four, and. Getting them up in the morning and getting them dressed and um, and uh, paying attention to every everything they said and you had to pay attention to everything they said um, you know while you were you know getting them dressed or getting lunch ready for them or if lunch was ready packing it up and getting them ready and then taking them to school or if it wasn't school even harder right to take them someplace to entertain them to arrange play dates even if you weren't spending every minute all day long with them spending time with little kids and even when they're smaller when they're two years old or three years old and they're running all over the place and then they have moods and uh, then they have tantrums and then you have to feed them, and then they're tired, and then they start whining and crying, and then they're laughing and jumping up and down for no reason. And then you have to read the same story to them 82 times. <laughs> you, you, maybe you're not old enough to have had the experience yet, uh, unless you have little brothers and sisters and you did this, which is unusual, I suppose, these days. But uh, if you haven't had little kids, then you don't know what hard work is. Yes, I know. I mean, if you're carrying bricks every day or if you're a delivery person or if you're working in the emergency room, yeah, there's a million ways to work yourself to death, to work hard, legitimate, hard, decent, good work in the world. But um, just my own experience is that taking a kid, taking care of a kid, especially an infant or a little kid, especially a little kid that can walk and run around. <laughs> when they're infants... They still have to, you can still carry them. They're not going to run away from you when they're infants. But when they start to run and walk, when they start to talk, when they start to disagree with you and tell you that everything you're saying is wrong and that they say no a thousand times or why two thousand times to everything, that can really wear you out. So that's hard work. Uh, where was I going with all this? So, um, well, let me, let me zap it back to Mr. Trump. So here's Trump and his towers and everything like that. And people are morbidly fascinated with the guy. You know, they're trying to figure him out. Now, what is he? Is he a buffoon? Is he an idiot? Is he stupid? Obviously, he's subject to tantrums like a toddler, like a little kid. Uh, clearly, he hasn't grown up very much. But um, he has a certain animal shrewdness. Now, he's not stupid. The man is not stupid because uh, it's just not in his blood. It's not in his family. He's, uh, his shrewdness um, overlays or underlies just a, an intelligence which I think is probably unused. I mean, there are some people who have written about him or some people who know him. There was a guy, one guy who helped him write one of his books or his book, a memoir of his book. Maybe it was The Art of the Deal and spent a lot of time with him and said that he had never seen. He wrote an article for The New Yorker, right? Where else? <laughs> he said, this man, I never saw him in one year or the two years I was with him. I never saw him read a book. Well, so what? Does that mean you're actually stupid? It just means you're ignorant or you're more interested in what goes on in your own head or what you're doing. Then, you know, I mean, uh, there's a certain snobbishness that uh, intellectuals have or the people that read about people who never read. I don't really think I've ever had that. I mean, uh, my admiration extends north, south, east, and west to all kinds of different people. And you don't have to be um, intellectual or a book reader to have to have my ad to get my admiration. So 
people who uh, work hard and also never read a book, but also do great work for other people or who do necessary work. There's a couple of guys on my block, and when I was living in a place that was more personal, out in Brooklyn, got to know these guys, the guys who pick up the garbage. I mean, really. Did they, uh, did they read a lot? I don't know if they read a lot. I have no idea. And what difference did it make? What difference did it make? Although when I had uh, my bookstore, uh, my used and old bookstore, there was uh, my best customer, my, absolutely my best customer, who used to come in every week, loved science fiction, and the more complicated, like Philip K. Dick, and uh, you know, they're more complicated, subtle, more literary uh, science fiction or fantasy, uh, was a sanitation worker. So there, you, know, you can't judge any book by its cover. So, meanwhile, here's Trump, and people are always trying to uh, figure Trump out. And um, uh, but he's no, he may be, he may act like a fool, but he is not actually a fool. He's got a sister uh, who's older than him, I think, uh, named Mary Ann Trump, who's a federal judge and has been a federal judge for something like thirty years. She may be uh, at retirement age or past retirement age, but. And I know that she's intelligent, and I've seen that she's intelligent because I actually, when I was a paralegal, had occasion to accompany uh, the attorney I worked for over to Jersey, uh, whatever that federal district includes, and um, was in her courtroom because my attorney was presenting um, some uh, information to her that she needed for a case that we were involved in. And I saw her preside over her court, and she was efficient, and she was intelligent. I saw her decisions that she wrote and on motions and on orders. And, uh, you know, yes, I know clerks write a lot of judges' decisions. But uh, she's, you know, she was very sharp, and she's very smart. She didn't get to be a federal judge by being a buffoon, a clown, and a dope. Um, so, and his brother, Trump's brother, is a professor at MIT. So, you know... No, the man's not stupid, and he may be ignorant or deliberately ignorant, but I think he just chooses to get involved in things that feel good or that he wants to do materially in the world, things he can put his hands on, so to speak, or things he can look at like a giant building and say, I did that. That's me. Um, now, people are always trying to figure him out. I mean, is he this? Is he that? Is he something else? Well, the reason I think people have trouble figuring him out is because he's not just one person. He's not just one Donald Trump. He's many different kinds of Donald Trumps. And I think this is the reason why people are constantly either fascinated by him and or confused by him. Because he is, um, because he is a man of various parts. There are probably three, four, maybe five Donald Trumps uh, you know, vying for time or, you know, arguing with each other or showing up at any different... You don't know which Donald Trump is going to show up at any given time. Um, it doesn't take much, obviously, to poke... Let's say, let's say one Donald Trump shows up on the podium and uh, he's making a speech someplace and he's talking about whatever it is. It could be nonsensical. It could even make sense for a change. He's talking about policy or his, even if he's talking about policy that are in ridiculous, he's talking about it in a sort of a pa sane, apparently sane way. And then somebody will heckle him or a baby will start crying or somebody will get, somebody will interfere with him expressing himself, with that part of himself expressing himself. Donald Trump, because he's got this massive, maybe one of a historically uh, large inferiority complex, which causes him to act the way he does, uh, cannot take 
that Donald Trump, you know, which has been presented to the public at that moment, cannot take that. And then what happens is that another Donald Trump pops up. The little angry, the the angry uh, preteen or the angry teen on the playground or the uh, angry bully pops up, uh, the teenager. Or maybe um, if somebody says something to him uh, which catches him in a lie or that really uh, even he is aware of the fact that he's screwing up, um, <laughs> you know, that he will turn all of a sudden into a whining toddler, the whining toddler Donald Trump. So I think that's what the problem is. And uh, when it comes to being self-involved the way he is and when it comes to having different parts and never knowing who you're going to be, um, I could understand that because it's been the curse of my life since I was a little kid. There are reasons for this. And there are like, I think there are psychiatric, I know, actually, I think there are psychiatric reasons or there are theories, psychiatric theories, why people act this way. If you are listening to me, it's chances are 99 out of 100 or let's at least 9 out of 10 because you're my audience. <laughs> so audiences are, are, are self-selected, right? If you're routinely listening to somebody like me, that, that means you probably understand, uh, and I'm sorry to hear it, how it is that I feel more than some other people might who uh, maybe have heard me and tuned away or don't listen to me, you know. But um, you understand what it means, perhaps, to have different selves inside yourself and never know sometimes when you wake up or under what circumstances or under what duress or under what um, kind of context a certain self of yours will pop out that you have almost no control of. And, uh, you know, like people say, the devil made me do it, or uh, used to be people were called possessed. Uh, you know, one of the a couple of scenes with Jesus in the Bible, one in particular where uh, Satan was in possession of the soul of, um, and the body of some poor wretch who was having seizures and was acting crazy. And Satan, you know, uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, you know, I cast you out, Satan. Leave this, leave this boy's body and leave his soul. And Satan did. And then he beat the, the boy became himself once again. Well, yeah, I mean, if you believe in that kind of thing. But for people who actually are possessed by different sorts of personalities, because there's many different Donald Trumps, because there are several different me's, and maybe if you recognize this, there's different parts of you that you have to struggle with sometimes, sometimes every day, to, uh, for dominance in how you react to the world and how you act with other people, then you understand how this works. Meanwhile, I'm going to take a little bit of a break and uh, come back and generally on this same subject. Thank you. 
We're back. We're back on the radio. This is Mike Fader on PRN.FM, which you know already because you're downloading this on a podcast or you're listening to it streaming. Um, used to be we had to do these IDs when you were on regular terrestrial radio because people would be tuning across the label and they wouldn't know who they were listening to. But now you know who you're listening to, which helps me out. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I do, the, the main thing that I've done in my life, uh, you know, now, now if you are picking up where we left off, or somebody left off, one part of me. Um, uh, the idea of having different selves uh, can, be, uh, can be confusing, and it can be frightening, it can be troubling, and it could be crippling if you have too many different selves, and they're very assertive, and you don't have one uh, single self that you can count on, that's reliable, that you know who it is, uh, that uh, now I'm, I'm talking about this as if you're uh, looking at it from the outside. You know, um, you are truly blessed. And I don't mean that in, you know, necessarily in its standard religious way, but you are truly blessed, unless you believe in that. You're truly blessed if you never even question these things, if you just wake up and you don't ever question the fact that you are yourself. You look in the mirror, yeah, that's me, no big deal. Uh, you know, you, you know, you, uh, you know, you do whatever it is you need to do. You brush your hair, you know, you, you, might, you might shave, you might uh, take a shower, you know, you adjust this, you adjust that, you put this cream on, whatever it is you do to get ready in the morning. Uh, you know what you like, you know uh, what your schedule is, uh, you know which clothes you want to wear, and you go to the job, you know who you are, you don't worry about it, right? Now, most people fall into this category. Although I think there are a great many people, uh, if they were to, que these very same people, if they were to, question themselves. Sometimes what happens is um, people go along assuming they are a certain person, and why should they not? They're brought up a certain way. They have a name, right? They have a personality. Uh, they've gotten used to their personality. Other people have gotten somewhat used to their personality. Maybe there's something that distinguishes them in the world, which makes it even easier to define yourself, like they are a very good uh, athlete. Um, uh, maybe good enough to even be on a team in high school or in college. Uh, maybe you are uh, the head of a certain fan club, and that's who you are. Maybe you're a very good artist. Maybe you're a good writer. Maybe you're extremely good at sewing or knitting. There's one thing that you do, let's say, all the time, and that's that's who you are. People say, "Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's George, the bus driver," or "That's uh, that's Frank. He's a uh, he's a really good writer," or uh, that's, um, that's Jane, you know, she, uh, she does hooked rugs and she sells them and she's really good or pottery and she's terrific at it, this kind of thing. So there's something that defines you. You know who you are. You don't worry about it. What happens sometimes in life, um, I believe, I say all these things as if there was, um, if I was Wikipedia or God, now you know better, right? <laughs> Just because I have this, uh, imperative sort of, um, uh, knowledgeable sound in my uh, in my voice about things doesn't necessarily mean I know anything at all. Just merely my opinion, you understand, based on on a lot of experience and a lot of observation of other people, and uh, too much of myself. So sometimes what happens is you go along and you're yourself, and maybe this experience is uh, you've had this experience in your life, maybe more than once. Certainly, I've had it more than once. You go along being yourself. You know who you are. You have a pretty good idea who you are. You're maybe fairly satisfied with that idea. I have never really quite been, but I, find, I know that I'm in the extreme in this situation, the extreme minority, but I have a very rarely ever been 
comfortable with my with oneself or satisfied with myself. So, um, and that's putting it mildly. But let's say most people go along and you're you're comfortable with yourself and you're satisfied with yourself at least uh, you know enough to get by or to even enjoy your life. Then some uh, tremendous disruption occurs. Uh, this may happen to you when you're later in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s. You could get fired from your job. You could get some kind of um, uh, possibly fatal illness. You could be in an accident. You could lose somebody who is close to you. Lose is a funny word for it. Somebody who's close to you uh, in your family or a friend could die or get a tremendous illness. And God forbid something could happen to one of your kids, which is really, really uh, awful. Or you can get an illness, which is a... um, uh, or a disability. That's something you have to deal with the rest of your life. All of a sudden... Uh, you know, you have to, uh, you have to, you have to handle this and you discover what strengths or what depths you have or don't have when this happens. And it's at this time, I think, when various parts of yourself may manifest themselves. Um, The child in you may come out, Uh, the child that of course never goes away. You have, uh, you know, you have a conscience. Where does your conscience come from? Your conscience comes from, and your conscience is almost like a separate creature in itself. Uh, I even know where mine is. My conscience is right smack, I don't know how this works with Indian uh, religions or whatever, right smack in the middle of my forehead above my eyes. <laughs> That's, I can feel it. That's where my conscience sits and judges everybody and the world and judges me too. Not in a very nice way. So uh, so let's say you run into, you're driving along in your life and uh, everything's been going smooth for quite a while or for a while. Uh, the car is working just fine. There's no trouble with the car. There's not that much traffic. You're headed towards your destination, whatever, however temporary it might be, or if it's a long distance des- destination. All of a sudden, you hit a bump in the road, bang, the axle breaks, bang, you almost die. All of a sudden, maybe another uh, a truck or a car hits you from behind, bang, you almost die. Uh, all of a sudden, somebody else in the car gets very sick and you have to find, go find a, a hospital. Your smooth drive has been interrupted. Your smooth drive has been interrupted. Or maybe sometimes, and this is even more unusual, of course, maybe something in you says, you know what, I don't really even want to go where I'm going. Or I don't, you know, whether it's a short distance or a long distance, I'm not even sure the direction I'm headed is where I want to go. Uh, Or I've gone this way so often, I don't want to go this way anymore. And you turn around and you take a turn off the side road and you, you, you find a road that's less traveled by. And then, good luck, right? Then you really have to summon up uh, a deeper, centered self. And I think most of us, luckily enough, if we're brought up a certain way, if you're brought up right, if you're brought up well, you have a centered self. But if you're a little bit off to the side, or even a lot off to the side of having been brought up well, what I mean by that, I mean, I suppose, um, circumstantially, if you're not growing up... um, uh, this is only partially. If you don't grow up in like really, really uh, a really awful slum or dangerous neighborhood where you have to worry about your safety every minute or where you have to make sure that you do certain things which are really not so good for you or anybody else merely just to survive, uh, stealing or violence or some other thing or some kind of competition which might not even feel natural to you, just to survive, just to get by in the, in the jungle, the particular jungle you live in. 
Now, if you, instead of living in the jungle, you live in a kind of resort community, a gated community, uh, which is a different kind of uh, a polished, manicured jungle, <laughs> you, uh, if you grow up that way, uh, but still, in the end, it doesn't really matter. It's the love you get and the confidence you get or that you don't get, starting from the, the, the second you're born and even before you're born, the kind of care and the kind of calmness that might be transmitted to you by your mother when you're even in her womb. And how welcome are you in, when you come into the world? And how welcome were you? And how, um, how possessed is your mother and father by other parts of themselves? Uh, how overcome are they by disappointment or competition with you? Or, um, or uh, you know, or the fact that uh, there's an Oedipal complex going on, which goes on in almost every family, and sometimes it's raging. You don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen. But if, in fact, you are, um, are lucky enough to have received this kind, and even if it's good enough, it doesn't have to be uh, some model on... Um, on TV, like, you know, uh, you know, Father Knows Best, it doesn't have to be that way, whatever the modern version is of some family, although I'm sure that most um, television series these days feature uh, dysfunctional families because there's more of them than there are these ideal model families. We all know that. Uh, these, uh, these shows from the 50s that a lot of us grew up watching where there were perfect families and everybody understood each other and everybody loved and the parents loved their kids and they put their kids first. These were daydreams. We all wanted it to be true and we were all disappointed unfairly <laughs> in our own parents because they weren't like the mom and dad on Father Knows Best or some other show like that, you know, where they were always there for you, where, they were always, where the mother was always home taking care of you and the father was always working hard but came home and you know, wanted to hear everything you did that day in class and what happened, and, and the mother would listen to all your complaints and your childhood woes, all that kind of stuff. Well, good luck, right? Uh, so a lot of us, I think, have different selves in us, but sometimes it goes to extremes. Uh, recently, there was an article in the Science Times. Um, oh, speaking of which, uh, there was an obituary the other day, and you could check this out online, I'm sure, that the, uh, you know, this woman who was... Um, uh, they wrote a book about her, and then they made a movie called The Three Faces of Eve. I'm not sure if the book had the same title. The Three Faces of Eve, and Joanne Woodward in the 50s got a, um, an Oscar for portraying a woman who had various personalities in her, and she never knew when they were going to come over her. She never knew when she was going to be possessed by these personalities. Well, she died recently at the age of 86 or something like that, and, uh, or 91, but she was the woman, and she didn't have just three personalities. She had, uh, you know, one was a, a, a kind of dowdy housewife, well, and, but the other one all of us was this sexy siren, you know. And then there was a third who was um, some, um, you know, uh, oddball intellectual. And apparently she had the real woman that this was based on because it was based on a real case treated by a real psychiatrist. Um, had many, many different personalities. And there is something called dissociative identity disease, which is just a fancy way of saying um, people who have split personalities, who have not just one, not just two or three different personalities, which are very powerful, and they never know when they're going to take over or how they're going to react. 
like certain pressures, as I mentioned before, certain um, stimuli and certain pressures, like too much success, too much failure, something suddenly happening to you, some requirement that you can't meet, some disaster that happens, or maybe some tremendous sudden um, joy or, uh, you know, will arouse a different personality in you, and then the reaction, who knows what it's going to be. Like, for instance, let's, let's hearken back to Trump. Trump wants to lose. Trump does not want to win. Now you say, but Donald Trump, he's trying so hard to win. He's trying, look at, this is Donald, I see him all the time. He wants to win, and he says, when I'm president, he wants, to, uh, he wants to win all the time. No, he doesn't really want to win all the time. In fact, he likes to lose all the time. It's no mistake that he's connected to gambling casinos because gamblers play to lose. Gamblers do not play to win. I should say most gamblers. And if you've ever gambled, you understand that is. It becomes a compulsion. There's something about gambling inherently that you know that the odds are against you. And if you keep doing it, you're going to lose. And this can apply to almost any area of life. If you keep doing a certain thing, you're going to lose. Gamblers play to lose. Alcoholics play to get, uh, alcoholics drink to get drunk and to fall apart. They drink to lose. Gamblers play to lose. Anybody who's addictive generally plays uh, or works uh, in the end to, um, to uh, hurt themselves, not to help themselves. Um, so this woman who, uh, who was the inspiration for the Three Faces of Eve died. And um, one quote from her uh, was that after she was cured, and she was never completely cured, though, and you are never completely cured because these different parts of you which come from certain childhood incidences of, let's say, abuse or neglect or certain times in your childhood when everything seems so perfect, they become preserved in you. They become preserved in you, and they are never integrated into any kind of adulthood that you can use to, uh, to react to or to proceed or to meet adult life with. There are certain um, parts of you, if you're in extreme cases like this, like Trump is, that uh, never grow up, that never grow up, and they're always there. And even if you are experiencing a period or a long period of integration where these parts don't stand out, but they are sort of blended into you, whoever you are, um, sometimes they can just pop up, like I say, under duress especially, under certain circumstances, like somebody who could, uh, who's lived by herself or lived by himself for a long time, gets married and has this, all of a sudden has the responsibilities of an intense relationship, or if you're uh, with somebody and you have a kid and all of a sudden you have the responsibility of being a mother or a father, it can bring out uh, some, something in you, uh, some childhood uh, you know, character that's still uh, very much inside you. And people will say, well, uh, you know, people are always confused and overwhelmed. I don't understand where that came from. I don't understand why he or she did that. I don't understand, you know, they were so nice, and all of a sudden when the baby was born or after we got married, right, fill in the blank. So this woman, uh, Three Faces of E, she was cured. Uh, the psychiatrist, who is arrogant, like a lot of psychiatrists can be, said that he had cured her in, in, in the book he wrote about her. But in fact, you never get cured of these. These parts stay inside you, and they're always there. And it's good to be aware of the fact that they're always inside you. You don't have to pay attention to them all the time, or at all, but it's just very useful to be aware of the fact that they're in you, and they could pop up, and they're available 
to cause havoc or to help you. They're there to help you too. Uh, and it's complicated. These parts uh, are preserving you. They're there for your survival. Sometimes they can, they can hurt you, but they can also help you. It's good to know they're there. Uh, this woman in Three Faces of Eve, they interviewed her once, and she said um, she felt when she was better, the, trim- the first time she had actually felt better for a sustained period of time, she said, uh, I felt the tremendous relief of waking up in the morning and just being me instead of one of a number of other characters inside me. Man, I understand that. Okay, <laughs> I really understand that because if you're bedeviled, if you're possessed by these different characters, and I, I guess what I didn't get into is what the theory is because I don't understand it that well. But the theory is how, how these um, different uh, personalities or these different parts of you uh, are developed, especially in an extreme way. And uh, usually they are developed according to, um, to all the research that's been done and my own experiences. If you uh, had an experience of um, something extreme in your childhood, like I say, if suddenly somebody died or if, uh, if there was a molestation in your childhood or um, if somebody just suddenly abandoned the family or something like that, or if there is constant, repeated, uh, you know, extreme trauma in your family, at that age, you suddenly freeze. And later on, that, that person, no matter what you're doing in the world, no matter how responsible you might be, no matter what position you're in, whether you're on your own or you're married or you have kids, uh, this, this self that, uh, that uh, was created because for, out of the need for survival, you know, when somebody abandoned you or somebody suddenly died or you were molested or you were abused or you were, um, you know, you were abandoned or something like that. In these extreme cases or in cases where there were things like that that happened in the family, you know, something serious that happened in the family or some gigantic change, um, a dislocation. Let's say your father lost his job and all of a sudden you uh, went from being middle class to being practically poor and then you had to move and you lost all your friends and something like this happened, you freeze or what is frozen at that age um, is, is that child that didn't get what it needed or was, uh, was handled in some terrible way. That child uh, at that age, it could have been four or three or 12 or 16, freezes at that age. And even though you get older chronologically and you get older physically and you have other responsibilities, you still don't, you still uh, are not rid of that, uh, of, that, uh, of that character who can help you or hurt you. Uh, recently in the Science Times, there was an article about people who hear voices you know, who have, all, 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 what is it, audio, I guess, hallucinations. Um, and uh, people see things, but uh, there are people who hear voices. And this has happened to me in my life sometimes, too. And it was absolutely frightening because the voices I heard were voices I did not want to hear. And, of course, you know, sometimes people are really completely out of their mind, psychotic, and they hear voices that tell them to go and do things. Uh, you know, some religions are inspired by this, but... Uh, other times there's great violence or insanity that is inspired crazy behavior by people who hear voices telling them to do things. But there are, pe- there are groups now, there are support groups for people called voice hearers. Now they're being called voice hearers. And um, people get together who hear different voices, who have different parts of themselves speaking to them. 
and they support each other. So it's not just that they will go to take medicine because a lot of medicine does not do anything for this. If you're somebody who has got, uh, you know, uh, different selves that have been formed and forged in the fire of some extreme event when you're a child, uh, or you have your, uh, let's say, for some reason, you have your mother or your father far too much in you, right, Uh, more than you would like. If you have all these different parts of you, uh, most of the pills that psychiatrists have available for you are not going to do any good. You have to have support from other people who have experienced similar things and or support from somebody, um, a therapist or even a friend or somebody who cares about you who really understands that there are different parts of you. Once again, I refer to Trump. Don't be so confused by Donald Trump. He's not just one Donald Trump. He's many different Donald Trumps. And, of course, Donald Trump, he, you know, the guy flies around in his jet, he eats fast food. He surrounds himself. He lives in his own universe. He lives in his own universe, and so he can preserve. um, He doesn't ever have to examine himself. Self-examination is not necessary for people, especially if they're very, very rich. Uh, Over the weekend, my wife and I saw a very interesting movie called Florence Foster Jenkins about an extremely wealthy woman who believed she could sing, but she couldn't. And she was... um, she was so cradled and so comforted and so coddled and so enclosed in her own fairy tale world because money, so much money was available that she was able to be convinced and other people were, uh, were basically brought along because of money to convince her that she actually could sing, but she couldn't sing. She was a terrible singer. And I won't go into the details of the movie because it would take away some of the enjoyment of it, um, but it's, a, it's really worth seeing. It's a little manipulative, it's a little Hollywoodish, but it's a very touching movie. But um, if you don't have a tremendous amount of money, like Trump has so much money that he could fly around in his jet, he could uh, ride on his golden elevator in his golden tower, he can uh, buy a new young wife when he gets tired of the old one, and he can eat anything he wants to eat, he can do anything he wants to do. He has people around him saying, yes, absolutely, boss, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. He doesn't have to examine the fact that he is many different Donald Trumps. One thing Donald Trump, one part of Donald Trump wants to, I don't know which part this is, and I don't know why, but he wants to lose. Donald Trump does not want to win the election. Donald Trump is terrified that he's going to win the election. And I believe that that is the main reason why he says such outrageous things. He becomes more bizarre more outrageous, more uh, shows, displays more deliberate ignorance beyond what his own ignorance might actually be. He is acting more and more self-destructive all the time, or part of him is. And you would say, but wait, you know, he built all this stuff and he wants to be rich and he wants to be known to be successful. Yes and no. Yes and no. So if you recognize any of this stuff I was talking about today, you know what I'm talking about. There are different people inside you. There are different people inside everybody. How often have you said to, you, to yourself or out loud to somebody else, you know, there's a part of me that wants to do this, and there's a part of me that doesn't want to do it. Yes. <laughs> These are real psychological parts to you, absolutely real psychological parts. This is the way the world works. So let not Trump be too confusing to you anymore. Uh, Hillary Clinton is obviously far more integrated. She knows what she wants to do. She knows who her friends are. They're on Wall Street and they're generals. And uh, it'll be the same old, same old thing. She knows what power is. She knows, she knows who Hillary Clinton is. And she is not bedeviled or possessed or troubled by different parts of herself. 
that are going to stand in her way or get in the way of her doing anything, and in a way that makes her far more scary and far more dangerous when she gets power than Donald Trump could ever be. Donald Trump uh, cancels himself out so often that he might turn out to be even less of a danger to our country and to the world than somebody like Hillary Clinton, who knows very well what she wants to do and who she is. All right, that's enough of my wandering for today. If you want to um, uh, get uh, emails from me, sometimes I will uh, post uh, photographs that I take, and I take some very interesting, very good photographs. I've gotten to be pretty good at it. Go to my, uh, my website. It's called Fader Files, and you can contact me that way and get on my mailing list. I write little blurbs and essays that are sort of mini versions of what you hear on the radio. Um, go to my, um, my website, faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com, and I think that will be all for this week, and I will um, see you again. I think I can't see you. I will see you again next Monday. the fire and the fury